Thursday, February 1, 2018, almost at 17 there. This is Born the Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. Doing so good there. So good. Did what? Uh, four or five uh, episodes in 2018 without fumbling on that. And first day of February and uh, almost almost slipping on a 2017. Hard to believe a month is already in the bag for the year 2018. And that's right, for those of you that are listening weekly, this is Thursday, coming out on a Thursday today. We had some issues with the VA network not playing well with the uh, with the hosting site for, uh, for our podcast, and so not everyone was able to access the podcast. So uh, I wanted to get that resolved before moving forward, but now all is well. We are back and underway with episode 82. This will feature Navy veteran Josh Elledge. Josh and I met at the Military Influencers Conference back in October, I believe it was. Someone introduced us, and one of the first things that I learned about Josh was that he is an expert on consumer savings, and he even proceeded to tell me about a process that he goes through whenever he checks into a hotel, the an interaction that he has with the uh, with the, the the person at the counter there, and how he often gets uh, gets room upgrades, and I found that fascinating. We spoke more after the conference. I did the usual contacting people, looking people up, and I just knew that I wanted to have Josh uh, here on the podcast. We finally were able to get the interview done. He is a Navy veteran, currently lives in Orlando, Florida. Uh, he says he is a dad of three awesome kids and a self-proclaimed fitness geek. Uh, Josh is the founder and chief executive angel of saving, SavingsAngel.com uh, and is one of the one of the nation's leading experts on com- consumer savings. His, he has his other endeavor, Upend PR, uh, which provides step-by-step video coaching, live training, dr- and direct access to over 1 million media contacts. He essentially helps people uh, sort of do their own PR and understand that process. Him and I are going to talk about uh, saving money, especially on groceries. Uh, we're going to talk about digital, uh, digital PR and digital entrepreneurship. Uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, other, talk about aspects of his service and his decision to transition out in that process. Enjoy. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. Josh Elledge, uh, Navy veteran, uh, founder of Up and PR, founder of SavingsAngel.com. Uh, sir, thank you for joining us on Born to Battle. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Tim. So, uh, Josh, we're going to start where we start all of these interviews, and that's going back to the decision that we all have in common, and that's the decision to join the United States military. Bring yeah. us back to that day for you. Yeah. So I was in journalism class in high school, and uh, I was looking at all of my options and you know, in my gut, like in, in my personality, like who I am is that I feel like I needed to create my own success. Uh, and that I didn't want to rely on my parents. I didn't want to, well, quite frankly, I didn't want to live at home anymore. (laughs) Um, and, uh, I, I just wanted to feel like 
I created that. I did that. And so I, I feel like, you know, I brought with me a pair of running shoes and that was pretty much it. I mean, everything else, I just feel like I just kind of started over. And, uh, you know, for me as well, I knew that I just wanted to, I, I wanted to, to, to implement more discipline and more, you know, direction in my life. I, I wanted to be with a team of winners. I wanted to be with a team of achievers. And it just, it felt like, you know, in the um, United States Navy or any branch of the armed services, that's where I would get that. And and I absolutely did. Uh, so uh, tell it, you know, the, the name of the show, Born the Battle, but we understand that maybe not every uh, veteran saw combat or, or, or went to battle. Uh, so whether it be a literal battle or be another um, another um, difficulty or challenge inside the service, tell us about an experience you had like that and how you dealt with it. Right. So I, I'll be honest, I actually did have a pretty easy um, service period, um, compared to many others. Um, and it was just the way that it worked out. Um, so I was in school for a year, uh, for journalism and I had qualified for broadcast journalism and they had, um, so this is actually a great lesson. So when I was in school, and I don't know if you recall, like being in uh, in in school, you know, after boot camp, and you got to figure out where you're going to go for the next few years. And so they had in journalism school, they passed out what are known as dream sheets, and dream sheets basically just. Uh, you just tell them where you'd like to go. And I thought, you know, it really doesn't matter what I put on here. I mean, it's, I don't, I honestly don't think that, uh, you know, what I say is going to impact that much. So I may as well take the humble approach. And so while everyone else was saying, oh, I want to go to Key West, I want to go to Bermuda, you know, all these exotic locations. Um, no one, by the way, said they wanted to go to like Norfolk on a, uh, a battleship or something like that. You know, they, they all wanted shore duty. And um, so what I said is uh, I took the humble approach and I did. I said, you know, I uh, I enlisted to serve in the United States Navy and um, I will go wherever Uncle Sam needs me most. And, and that's where I put on my dream sheet and I turned that in. And so a few weeks later, uh, they came back and they said, OK, you guys are about to find out where you're going for the next three years. And uh, people were getting, you know, San Diego, you're going to be on a sh- living on a ship for three years. Uh, Norfolk, you're going to be living on a ship for three years. Um, most journalists, by the way, um, you know, we're not necessarily going on subs and we're not going on smaller ships. Um, usually it's either a really large ship or shore duty. Um, not a lot of shore duty be give, being given out. Oh, some people were being sent to the Middle East. Um, De- Operation Desert Storm was uh, kind of concluding at the time. Um, and then when it came to me, Seaman Elledge, they said, uh, all right, Seaman Elledge, you are going to Pearl Harbor, Hawaii for three <laughs> years of shore duty. <laughs> Oh man, that was so. It it really did. I'm very, very. You know, I honor those who uh, separated from families, or you know, were in peril, or or in you know, really in a struggling situation. Um, But you know, thankfully, I did. You know, my last year, in fact, Tim, I was a DJ in. Uh, ADAC, Alaska, out in the Aleutian Islands, but that was my job. Is I would do radio, or I would do a morning show on the radio for three hours every morning. That's cool. I've uh, I've been to 
uh, Pearl Harbor a couple times. Most recently, uh, was last year for the 75th commemoration of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. I uh, got to talk to some Pearl Harbor survivors, got to visit the, you know, the USS Arizona before the tourists. They brought us like on a separate group out there. Uh, I'd say the USS Arizona Memorial has to be one mm. of the best mm. memorials in the world as it oh. pertains to uh, any United States memorial uh, oh. or in, in the world. I mean, it, I've been doing quite a few monuments and memorials and it's just, yeah. it's so sobering. And uh, it is. Yeah. It is so sobering. And, you know, so living there for three years, we'd go out to the Mar- the uh, Arizona quite a bit. And um, so Japanese tourists would come. And if, if it, it, the, the, watching the Japanese tourists um, and you see the gravity and you see the weight that they feel, um, it, it's, it's very, it's, it's, if you had any misgivings, I mean, it's been a while, um, but, you know, Jap- the Japanese tourists tend to be very, very humble and respectful. And, you know, you almost see that they kind of walk around with just like a pain in their stomach that they were involved in something so brutal. And it was it, it really makes you just want to go and hug somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So th- what, what prompted your transition out of the Navy then? Uh, college. I mean, I, I, so here's the deal. Um, so I spent five years in the Navy and even though it was pretty easy, um, here, here's why I believe that all of us should, if we have the option, should try to support somebody who gave up some years of their life to serve, even if they had it really easy. So I had spent five years in the military. All my friends were graduating college now. So and I'm just getting started. So it, it's like I'm kind of five years behind in terms of, you know, getting on with life in the normal sense. And so why I believe we should all go beyond just thanking a veteran, but finding out what we can do to help them is because even if they had it easy like me, you know, it's if, if everyone does just a little bit, we can help our, our veteran brothers and sisters and our mill spouse um, brothers and sisters. We can help them catch up just a little bit. So if everybody just gives a little bit extra consideration to the veteran-owned business owner or to the veteran um, uh, candidate for, for a uh, position with your company, I, I just feel like that's the right thing to do. Because certainly those five years, again, while I ultimately enjoyed my time, um, you know, we don't do it for money. We do it because we love our country generally. And that's exactly why I went into it, um, is I love my country. And it, it, it also was very good for me to kind of mold me into who I am today. So, uh, so you transition out of the military to attend college. We know a yeah. lot of veterans that when they leave the military, whether they're pre- whether no matter how prepared they are, no matter sort of what the next step is and how how close that next step is from their transition, a lot of veterans experience some sort of emotional dilemma after they leave. Whether it's just a, a feeling of loss of purpose or just sort of rediscovering, yeah. um, you know, a, a new um, a new drive in life. Did you experience anything like that? I didn't. Um, and uh, the reason why I didn't is because uh, I had uh, gotten engaged a year. So in Hawaii and, and I had so I had a year where we were separated. Uh, I was in Adak, Alaska and, and she was in Chicago. So immediately after getting out, I was able to get married. I was immediately starting school very full time. I took as many credits as they would as they would let me have policy wise. Um, I was really, really 
busy. And then I was also working a part-time job. And I felt like because I kept myself so busy and, you know, thankfully I'd met my sweetheart, you know, with whom I've been married now for over 22 years. Um, I think because I, and I think that this is important. Like we, you know, when you're a year out, at least, you know, if not sooner, we really need to start thinking about what our next version of our life is going to be like. And I think it's probably good to to maybe overfill and then pull back if we say, well, this is a bit too much. But because I was so busy and so engaged and so feeling like I was in my purpose, I really didn't have that tough of a time. And I'll be honest, here's a, a unique phenomenon that I ex- I've experienced is that I feel like when I got out, I was like, okay, I'm grateful to have served. However, I'm very grateful to be separated now. <laughs> like I, I really, like I did feel a little bit of the weight of like, you know, my parents would be talking about so-and-so just, you know, got this amazing, you know, job because they graduated and, you know, our friends from high school and like, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm starting school. Um, you know, I did have some college credit and stuff. So, I mean, I did feel a little bit of weight from that, and, and, but I wanted to share something that was kind of unique. In that, while I was grateful to be separated, as I've gotten older, uh, I have really owned my identity as a veteran and really appreciated uh, the, the the brotherhood and 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 sisterhood who you know of those we've served. When I find another when I find another veteran, I, I identify with this community more than I ever have, even though now it's been over 20 years, 22 years since I separated. Um, I don't know if if you've heard that before, but it's, boy, that was sure my experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, So how soon after, um, so when did, when did you separate? And then when, when did you graduate college? What years? 1995. And I actually graduated with a four-year degree in two and a half years. Oh, wow. I had about a, a semester's worth of college credit because I did take, obviously, you get some credits from being in the military. And then I took a couple of extra college classes while I was in. Uh, I was pretty driven like to, to catch up. But I got, my, I got my bachelor's done in two and a half years. Um, yeah. And, 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 um, you know, I, again, I just, I, I think I was also able to do that. Like if I compared myself to kids that were just getting out of college, I, I, I mean, I could, I could wipe the mat with them in terms of like my discipline and my motivation. <laughs> yeah. And I got the, and I got that grit from my service. Yeah. No, I, you know, you, you're talking, going back to your point on, you sort of feel a little behind, right? Getting out of the military. And now you're, you feel like you're getting to the square one that your peers are four years ahead of. And I think a lot of veterans feel that way, but uh, like, like you just mentioned, uh, there's a lot more to our character that have us ahead of them uh, even more. Um, and that's, you know, it's one of the reasons why corporations, uh, you know, in, in the past 10, 15 years are, you know, discovering that how valuable veterans can be to their workplace. Oh, gosh. Yes. Um, so, you know, we know that you uh, you do up in PR, you do savings angels. I don't know which one of those comes first in your line, but uh, maybe briefly fill the gap yeah. between college and those two endeavors. Sure. So um, out of college, I worked in corporate America, found out that uh, I, I was too driven 
for a regular job. And I felt like I just didn't belong. And I felt like that there was something more for me. So uh, I started a number of different businesses. Some failed, some failed spectacularly. Um, But about 12 years ago, I uh, took my experience that I had in the military as a, as a U.S. Navy journalist, and I started a company, an internet company called Savings Angel. And I say when I use my experience as a journalist, I knew that as a business owner, nothing good is going to happen until I get a lot of exposure. You can have the best business idea in the world, but if nobody hears about it, it, it it's not really going to do much. And so I started reaching out to local radio, local newspapers, local magazines, whatever I could, anyone with an audience. And I said, look, I don't have any money, but I I feel like I could provide some extremely valuable content and I will work my guts out to provide entertaining and information, you know, valuable information for your audience. Um, I would love to be of service. And um, enough of them said yes. Um, that I started doing with a local, it was just like a local uh, Christian radio broadcaster. I started with them and they put me on air every week and where I would share like the local best grocery deal. Savings Angel, by the way, um, started as uh, a service where we would help you cut your grocery bill in half. And um, we would database everything that all the grocery stores were doing, everything that manufacturers were doing. And we could scientifically get you the lowest price on your grocery bill. And this is significant because we could bring an $800 grocery bill down to $300 a month, saving our members about four to $500 a month. Holy smokes. Oh, it's, yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, and I'm sorry to say that we no longer do that. Um, but so we had a great, great run during the recession. And then when extreme couponing came out, um, we have actually, we, it was, uh, we charged uh, four or $5 a week. And, um, we ended up doing about $6 million in revenue over the past 12 years. Now at the beginning of this year, because of, all the success we're having with upend PR and the fact that people just really aren't into couponing as much anymore. Um, we ended up having to uh, shut down that product. And then we operate as a traditional blog now, which is, which is great because I, I love, we can focus on education. We can focus on service and we don't even have to worry about selling stuff. We could just give everything away through savings angel. Yeah. So, so, um, I, I find this, um, what I, th- what I think is cool about you know, like we, I know we all watch extreme couponing either by accident or on purpose, right? And uh, I, I think one thing that maybe turned off a lot of people to extreme to like the whole couponing thing was like I would turn on couponing and I'd watch you know a, a lady go in and end up getting like fifty things of laundry detergent, and I'm like, well, that's that's fun, but like I don't. I don't need 50 things of laundry detergent. I just, yeah. I need I need the 20 items on my grocery uh, grocery list and I need to get those more affordable. That's right. And so, you know, tell us, you know, th- maybe just briefly, uh, you know, what is what is what are one or two like principles in approaching your grocery list or things to do um, to be mindful of what you're spending or how to get the best deal? I can tell you exactly what that okay. is. Um, and, and there's two principles. Number one is that you should only be buying the absolute best deals and period. So you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. Uh, what if I need lettuce and I need butter and I need cornflakes or whatever? Okay. Stick with me. Yep. Um, the idea is that you never pay full price for anything. So 
Now, whether or not you're using coupons, look, it's re- it's actually pretty easy to use coupons today. They made it, and I'm not talking about the coupons that come out in the Sunday paper, digital coupons. So there are a lot of different sources and you can go to Savings Angel and there's lots of information. Lots, By the way, say it's savingsangel.com. It's free. So go enjoy. Um, you know, it's nothing, nothing but abundance uh, if you follow the advice that we share. Lots of savingsoneangel.com. So, um, but the idea is that you want to find the lowest price on everything. So even if you're just like, so we live in the South and a very popular grocery chain that we have here is Publix. Well, Publix is known for having BOGOs, which are buy one, get ones. So if you only purchased BOGOs uh, and you never messed with coupons right there and you only bought BOGOs and you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I need the other stuff. Hang on, I'll get to that, right? You would save close to 50%. I say close to because obviously you're going to be buying, you know, better brand name products as opposed to maybe the generic products, but definitely, you know, you could save about a third off your grocery budget. So if you were spending $900 a month, now you're spending $600 a month uh, and you're saving yourself and keeping $300 a month in your pocket. That makes sense. So how do we, how do we get to a point then where, so here's what's killing you is that you're buying stuff that you need and need-based shopping is the most expensive way to feed your family, right? Aside from like eating at restaurants every meal. Eating eating out at restaurants, by the way, is just absurdly expensive yeah. compared to buying your own groceries and making it yourself. So, and a lot of us as Americans, we love to eat out because it's convenient, saves time, blah, blah, blah. Um, try to limit that <laughs> um, because that's really expensive if you do the dollars and cents on yeah. that. Um, and, and again, I want you to enjoy life, but I want you to do it on your terms. Um, so here's what we want to do. When you get a really, really great deal, I mean like a really great deal, I want you to buy as much as you can comfortably use in say the next three months or so. Um, I'm not telling you to fill up your laundry room with detergent, although let's say you did get a deal because of you were stacking, uh, let's say a really good sale. And then there was like a one or $2 coupon that you happen to be able to get, um, several copies of that for, um, and now you're getting say $6 detergent for $1. You know what? I would buy a lot. I really would because I don't <laughs> I want you to ever pay at, yeah, a lot at whatever that is for you. Um, and you know what, if you buy more than you can comfortably use, please donate it because that, and that's our mission too. We believe that we can help end hunger, lack and need in our communities. If we just empower good people yeah, to give sure. and everybody can, as long as they have, um, the means to do so. And with savings age, that's, that's what we've inspired. So again, step one, only buy what you only buy the absolute best deals. Step two, buy lots of what you can get really great deals on. And then when you need that item in the future, you just go to your pantry. You don't go to the store because when you go into a store and you need something and it's not on sale, then you're basically just buying the least worst option in terms of money. You have no negotiating power when you go onto a car lot and you say, I need this. I need that. I need everything. You know, all these things on my feature list and I'm not leaving your car lot until you give it to me you're not going to get a very good deal. So that's the same thing when you go into a grocery store. Prices on groceries fluctuate wildly. You can save easily. You could save 50% on most of your items if you're just conscious about what you're it's buying. It's true. And it's, you know, I, I know this for like just walking down the cereal aisle, all of a sudden like a, you know, a $5 cereal is now like, you know, three for, you know, at like, you know, at 
one seventy five a pop, or like you buy up to th- at least three, and they're a buck seventy five or something like that. Or and it's it's amazing how like just within a day, all of a sudden, a product is less than fifty percent than it was the day before. Um, so what, what do you have any? Do you, what about like the like what about like milk and stuff like that? Do you have any approaches to to that, or you know, because like, even. I don't really want to stock milk. Can I stock milk? I guess we're so I'm so milk. I think is the one thing that we're so used to just buying on demand. Okay. In reality, that's only going to represent about 10% of your grocery bill or under. So there are perishable items that you're going to be fairly limited on. Um, One of those would be uh, fresh produce and milk. Now, fresh produce, you can get around by buying more produce that's frozen uh, or canned. Now, I highly recommend buying frozen produce whenever you can, because you're absolutely going to reduce your spoilage. Um, Also, you can get phenomenal deals on frozen produce. And here's another thing you need to consider. A lot of people say, well, I want to buy fresh because that's the healthiest. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is absolutely not true. That is absolutely not true. You could check with the USDA. We've done a lot of research on this and here's why. Most, depending on, and, and it depends on if it's in season or not, what you're buying. Now, if it's in season and it's sourced locally, then yes, absolutely get it in the produce section. If it's not in season and this produce is coming from south of the border or another part of the world, which is where a lot of our produce comes from, you are better off getting it in the frozen food section. Here's why. When that produce is picked in, say, Brazil, and then it's put on a ship and it's shipped up to the United States or wherever you may be, um, what you're getting, so it's picked super, super early in the ripening season. Then it's sprayed with gases so that it doesn't spoil. Uh, and so what happens, however, is what you've got, and then it, and then it's sprayed with more gases so that it will kind of appear like it's fully ripened. And so what you're getting is you're getting produce, like give me an example, tomatoes. When's the last time you've had a really great tomato out of season from the grocery store? It doesn't happen. Okay. Compare that to a tomato you get from your garden. It's a completely different product. So, um, the reason why is when produce is picked early in the ripening season, it hasn't reached its full spectrum of vitamins and nutrients and everything that makes it really, really good. So, um, if, so, however, frozen produce and produce that is picked for, um, for frozen production, what happens is they would prefer that they wait until that tomato isn't going to get any bigger. Um, so it's fully ripe. Like it is absolute, absolutely at its peak. Then it's taken and it's flash frozen. Now the USDA also is, you know, shared in terms of uh, does it impact the health if it's frozen? It doesn't. It's, it's minimal. It's, it's next to no negative impact if you get produce that's flash frozen um, and then you get it from the frozen food section. So I'm a big, 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 big advocate for getting frozen produce whenever possible. And you know what? You can get bags of green beans and broccoli and all that stuff. I've gotten deals where I've bought bags of produce for like a nickel a bag. If you do this right, you get the right sale and you get the right coupon stacked together. It's pretty amazing. That's uh, that's it is. Um, yeah. What do you and this is uh, we'll move on to uh, another part of your career uh, after this. But what, you know, 
you know, um, my wife and I like to save money where possible. So I'm, I'm of course, uh, very interested in this. What, what, what do you find is the best way to minimize your time in trying to do all this? If that, if that makes sense, like, am I, am I, am I cruising the aisles Absolutely. looking for every buy one, get one? Is there a shortcut to all no. that? Nope. Here's what you do. You do your shopping at home. And uh, what I mean by that is you need to make all of your, do all of your planning from the comfort of home. Um, Same thing goes by the way for, you know, we just, you know, we had just had Christmas, obviously remember Black Friday. Um, Do all of your shopping, all of your planning, all of your decision-making at home. And you might think, and it's really easy. All you do, you just pull up the ad, And I only want you buying what's in the ad and what's really, really a good sale anyway. So, and you know what store is comfortably within your reach. So for me, I have Publix, I have Winn-Dixie, I have CVS and Walgreens. I may consider going to Target. I may consider going to Whole Foods, but it's going to have to be a really good deal for me to do that. Now, will I go to all four of those stores? Absolutely not. They need to, they need to prove to me that it's worth my time to go there. So what that means is they better be giving me some really good deals. So I look at the ads at home. I make my decisions about what I'm going to buy. I create a list at home and then I say, okay, CVS, I want the toothpaste, the mouthwash and the shampoo. And by the way, the deals that you can get at CVS and Walgreens, while the regular shelf prices are not good, the, the sales and the deals you can get at the drugstores are amazing. And so I highly recommend buying the lost leaders and you cherry pick only the best deals. Obviously, don't buy anything else. Although I do get a lot of my milk at uh, CVS because I can get it for uh, as little as $1.79 a gallon. And it's, you know, at Walmart, it's like close to five bucks. So, um, yeah, so that, that's that's my number one advice on that. And then you're just going to be very conscious about where you go and and how you do your spending. Um, what um do you do you have anything that's uh like any advice for military and veteran specific uh, opportunities to save? Is that if that makes sense? Like uh, you know, like like yeah. well, yes. Now, hopefully, all of us are in the practice of seeking out and finding military discounts. Now, not necessarily like the only time I see a military discount at a grocery store, obviously, if you can, you know, if you got to hook up with the, uh, you know, commissary or PX or something like that, it, that's great. Uh, I don't, I don't really have one near me or one that I could really use. Um, so, um, you know, once a year, the grocery store will have like a, on Veterans Day, you know, they, they have a deal there. Um, so really not a lot of deals um, in, in what I've seen with that. However, um, you'd be surprised how many restaurants, how many stores, if you just ask and don't be ashamed in asking that there's no shame in that. Um, just ask them, just say, and you could do it cool, right? Just like, hey, you don't have any military discounts, do you? Um, like I, I, I ask that all the time. And it's not that I want to exploit my service by any means. And we really need to, re- and if you feel like you're doing that, I really want you to rethink why you do that, okay? That discount is offered as a way of saying thank you. When you allow somebody to thank you for your service. I'm talking to my veteran brothers and sisters here, okay? You're not doing, when you accept that thank you, okay, two good things happen. Number one, 
you feel good because someone expressed some appreciation. Okay, it feels good. Please accept it. Right, you've earned it. Um, not everybody made the decision to serve, but you did. And you know what? Being thanked and and listen, I'll tell you, in the post nine eleven world, um, we get thanked a lot more than we did before nine eleven because um, you know our, uh, those who serve are just much more in the public eye than they used to. So please, for those uh, who served when it was less than popular, say right after the Vietnam War, please allow people to say thank you. Please give them that space. Um, it's the right thing because, and, and we want them to feel, so that's number one, you get to, you get to appreciate that. Number two, we want to encourage them to continue to be thankful for those who serve. So when you graciously say, thank you, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It was my honor to serve. Okay. You are, you are letting them know that, yes, it is absolutely awesome that, you know, not just me. I, you know, I happen to be one of many who served, but thank you so much for showing your appreciation to the military. When you take advantage of uh, a haircutting place that gives 10% off for veterans or whatever, okay, you let the decision makers know, the top level execs and the marketing managers, you let them know that that's a successful yeah. program. So if you don't take advantage of that, they don't know, they don't think it works. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take advantage of that discount. And then I want you to say, thank you so much for making this available, not just for me, but for yeah. everybody, right? Because I don't, I don't need a discount, but I want to support military discount programs. And the only way we can do that is we could take advantage of them and we can express our gratitude. For yeah. My, my philosophy on, on, you know, receiving discounts or benefits due to my, you know, being my veteran status. I was thinking like if they offered me a discount for any other reason about who I am, what I, what I take it. And if the answer is yes, why, why, like, why is this part of my life? The part where like the, you know, people like, you know, exploiting your service, taking advantage of that. Look, if they told me, Hey, we're, uh, you know, we're giving a 10% discount today to everybody with blue eyes. I wouldn't be like, well, don't look at me. I don't want my, I don't want that discount. I'd be like, yeah, I, I got blue eyes. Let me, let me get that 10% or, you know, we do the same thing with yeah. senior discounts. There's people that do like uh, first responder discounts, teacher discounts, like, and and if yeah. you look at those, you know, they're in that same light of like, it's just a way like, Hey, we recognize that's a set that that's a career that's challenging and, and we want to show our gratitude towards it. So um, I a hundred percent agree with all that. Let's talk about up end PR. And um, mm -hmm. I, I want to, uh, I know Savings Angel, uh, I think a big part of the audience was probably taking a lot of notes. Like, uh, I'm going to, I'm, we're going to start getting emails from people that uh, uh, saved a bunch of money. <laughs> um, but up in PR, uh, your, your tagline, we turn digital entrepreneurs into media celebrities. And, and uh, I, I want to talk about this part of your, your, uh, your career, because I know there's a lot of people in the audience that have some, have a career that at least uh, exists um, partially on the, on in the digital space if not completely um what uh what what's the right question here what inspired you uh to uh to start this endeavor and in, in um yeah let's start there what, what's what inspired you to start that endeavor Be because i was able to generate six million dollars in revenue with savings angel and i spent less than five hundred dollars in advertising and i i gained all of that simply because I was willing to serve audiences in the media. I have been in the media over 2000 times. So recognizing that I had something, a unique background and a unique experience where I achieved success with that, 
I realized that I had a moral obligation to serve other business owners. And so I just started working pro bono in our local startup community. We lived in West Michigan when we started Savings Angel and we moved to uh, Central Florida. We live in Orlando. And so I just started volunteering and helping other business owners and helping them so that they wouldn't have to spend so much money on PR uh, or help them to get more exposure and more authority so that they could be successful in their businesses. And they started following my advice and they started having success and they started asking if they could give me money. (laughs) And I said, well, okay, I guess I, you know, I, I, I honestly, I was not considering starting a PR firm, but I had so many people that, um, that wanted to learn what I uh, had, um, that, that I realized that it it just, I, I had to do it like, because, and I'll tell you, our, my what my core belief is is that I believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world, all right. Or you have a product or service that truly could be a game changer for people, right? If you're just in your own little small circle and you're doing that, that's great. But you're probably not going to like make a lot of money, and you're not going to create the impact in the world that you could. So what we've done with up. NPR, which is now becoming upmyinfluence.com. We're going through a rebranding right now, um, is that we believe in democratizing PR and influence. I think it's been a country club for far too long. If you have a lot of money, great. You can afford, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 a month, and you can have a fantastic PR firm and you get the rewards. But the people who need it the most can't afford it. And what they can afford is generally pretty crappy. So we believe in empowering everybody with the ability to rise. So, so our rates and go ahead. Well, um, I remember when I launched uh, the one too many veteran suicide project and I, I successfully raised yeah. a, a Kickstarter to get the project off the ground. And one of wow. the someone while I was making a decision on sort of how to use that money for the project, someone came to me with offering PR help and I, you know, now that I'm, I'm, I am in public affairs now and I'm, I'm more familiar sort of with, with, you know, relations with the media work and stuff like that. But at the time I had the hardest time wrapping my head around what exactly I was getting. Um, and that's it. And I didn't, absolutely. it was interesting because, you know, he, like he was, he was offering price points and stuff like that, but never really telling me what, like there was like zero guarantee anything would happen, but he guaranteed me he'd be working for me on my behalf. And it's so difficult to want to commit money to like hope, you know, (laughs) like, you know, and and, yeah. Yeah. And so can you, can you maybe uh, continue with, with that, uh, uh, with that context a little bit? Cause I'm sure anybody. Because we were so successful with our own PR through Savings Angel, I thought, you know what I should do is I should hire someone to really speed things up. I'm going to hire a professional because I'm just kind of guessing. And I, I mean, I'm doing well, like I'm getting on, you know, national media and I, I, I became a syndicated newspaper columnist. I became a syndicated TV consumer expert in 75 cities. Um, and I thought, man, if I hire a professional, then I'm really going to speed things up. Blew 25 grand, Tim and I had almost next to nothing to show for it. And sadly, that is not a unique experience. Um, And so I think that there's just, you know, again, as a PR professional, like I just think, I don't think it's the problem of any professional themselves. I just think that the problem is more systemic. And so particularly now PR works and especially at the enterprise level, like 
you can afford really good people with lots of great resources, lots of great connections. Yes, you're going to pay a lot of money, but every major company on the planet uses PR. Um, and, and they believe in it. Bill Gates said if he were down to his last dollar, he'd invest it in PR. Um, so, but you know, if you're at the growth stage startup level or at the, you know, kind of the entrepreneurial level, um, it, it's very risky and you can absolutely find yourself in a very tough position. So, you know, we believe. Um, that the current system needs, it, it, it just hasn't progressed where say Facebook advertising, social media advertising, um, SEO, like all of that stuff, all the digital growth and marketing, it's, it's gone through a lot of evolutions over the past 10 years. PR really hasn't. And so we believe in challenging, you know, constantly challenging the status quo with everything that we do. Ultimately, what we want to do is we want to provide authority because when you have a lot of authority that helps people own their unique experience and wisdom, and then they're respected. And when you're respected, it's really easy to approach journalists. It's really easy to approach uh, influencers, social media influencers, big bloggers. They're going to respect you. And then you gain your influence. And that's where you can serve the world with your message and create the biggest so impact. To, to those listening that are, they have their own business or they're an entrepreneur or they're, you know, they're partnered with someone, maybe they just have an idea, a nonprofit, whatever it may be, the budget's low or it's non-existent. What's, you know, like give, give, you know, do you have one or two tips on how to take the first step towards successful PR? Yes, absolutely. So you, you need to, like, if I were to say, okay, everybody listening, I want you to take the next 20 minutes and go do PR stuff. And then I just, I do this when I speak and I, I watch what they do. And most people are like really nervous. They're like <laughs> the nervous laughter. They look around and I make them sweat for a little bit. And I say, all right, I'm not going to make you do that. But let me ask you, what would you have done? And I get some people raising their hand. They're like, uh, just start emailing some journalists. And I mean, that's what I get. And I said, that is probably one of the worst things you could do. Um, the best thing you could do, and the reason why is because you're probably not going to do it very smoothly. And you're also, you're probably going to come across a little spammy. And also you're probably not going to be very respected. So what's most important is that you work on what I call indicators of authority. Um, how do we know if someone's important? Let's say you get an email from someone and you're like, I don't know who this is. I mean, I don't, the offer is fine. You know what they're asking. That's fine. But who is this person? Um, and so you probably look at, you try and look for clues. Like you look at the email address it came from to kind of figure out, well, what's the domain name? You look in the signature and hopefully they have their website there. Then you click on their website. You look at their website. So that's the first area you're going to be judged on is your website. And people are going to give you about five to 10 seconds. And if you don't impress them, then you're not going to get a response back to that email. They won't tell you why, but it, the, I can tell you the reason why. It's because you just don't appear that important. And it's it sounds extremely superficial, what I'm saying, but it's what everybody does. You do it, I do it, we all do it because we have to be protective of our time and there are millions of offers in front of us if you use the web. <laughs> I mean, it's just, there's always offers. And so we uh, have conditioned ourselves to be very protective of our time and what we spend our time, the offers that we pursue. That's number one, your website. You're just going to have to invest in a good, in a great looking website. You will attract the level of business, uh, 
uh, in compare, like it, there's a correlation, the correlation between the investment you make in your web design and your branding, there's a direct correlation to the size of business that you're able to attract. If you look small time, you're only going to attract small time clients, bottom line. And uh, your conversion rate's just not going to be real great. So that's number one. Number two is going to be, if I do a Google search on you, what comes up? So if you want great, you could do a Google search on me. And I can tell you right now, it, it's pretty good because for years and years and years and years, I have served audiences. And so Google will reward you for being a good servant leader and bringing value to audiences. And you don't even have to worry about, you know, making sure that you get do follow links and all this other stuff. Like that's generally good for, you know, uh, general uh, SEO and increasing your, um, your, your influencer score and all that sort of thing. But if I just want to find out your vanity uh, Google search results, do a Google search for your name and maybe the name of your company. That's going to reveal a lot about you. And a journalist, you better believe is going to do that. They want to know what the world has to say about you. And then finally, your social media is number three. And the ones that influencers and journalists care more, most about are LinkedIn and Twitter. Ooh, so if you're LinkedIn, by the way, I don't believe you can over invest in your LinkedIn profile right now. Um, you know, networking and connecting, that's great. Like you should be doing that, but I am really focused. Like you can look me up on LinkedIn, look at my profile for Josh Elledge, E-L-L-E-D-G-E, and just copy my, exactly what I did. Um, I'm following, uh, a lot of what I do is based on John Nemo's work. And John Nemo is a really good thought leader in the space of like using LinkedIn for marketing very well. Um, well, the same thing, like we just want to, we want to communicate in a way that says I am an authority. And then Twitter, uh, the, the value of Twitter cannot be overstated. Twitter is, while it may not be your favorite social media platform, please use it as a communications tool and please use it to establish how important you are. Because if you only have a couple hundred followers, that says something about you. If you've got over 40,000 followers, that says something different about you, all right? And I'm not suggesting that you go and buy followers, but I am suggesting that you get real smart about how you do that. And, and anybody's listening, I've got a Twitter course that I used to sell, you can have for free. Um, it's it's at our website at up uh, upmyinfluence.com, or I think you can also go to upendpr.com. We, we, like I said, yeah. we're just going through a so, new change. Um, LinkedIn, that's really interesting. And I think uh, this piggybacks on, um, you know, we, we talked to uh, Mika Cross, who's over at the Department of Labor, Works and Veteran Services over there and talking about, mm. you know, veterans looking for new employment or, tra- or career transition. And, yeah. and we didn't really get into LinkedIn. And I think part of it is because LinkedIn has... For a long time, was the was like the dismissed social media, right? Like, does anybody really use this? But yes. you're saying it's important. You're saying that that it, it's a key. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? The, what do you think the biggest value out of of LinkedIn is? Because people aren't going to buy your thing until they find out more about you. They're not going to hire you until they find out more about you. They are not going to partner with you until they do their due diligence. Um, everything, every metric improves when you take your personal branding seriously. So it's up to you. Look, I'm telling, if you just copy what I did, it's going to take you one freaking afternoon. And let's say you're doing contract, let's say you do government contract work. You think it's possible 
that the decision maker may want to look at who the principals are and find out how they appear on LinkedIn. Oh, it's quite likely that they will. Um, and when they are expected, decision makers are expected to do their due diligence, oftentimes it's a Google search and it's, you know, looking on LinkedIn. When you do a Google search, by the way, uh, oftentimes your LinkedIn is going to appear on the first page or so. So I just did a Google search of Timothy Lawson. Uh, oddly enough, March 29, 2017, uh, a gentleman by the name of Timothy Lawson went missing. Um, I also- oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> you have, uh, you know, Josh Elledge is a little less yeah, common. Yeah. Um, Tim Lawson. I, I, I actually, I've had friends named Tim Lawson. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm sure I also have. Um, I don't know if I brought this up on the show before, but. I have a Google alert set for my name. Um, and let me tell Smart. you, uh, people named Timothy Lawson get into some wild stuff. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't uh, I don't know what other Timothy Lawson's are doing out there, but uh, it's, a, it's a fun name to be associated with, I suppose. Um, <laughs> Josh, let's talk about, um, you know, we, we brought this up before we hit the record button. Let's talk about how all of this ties into your military service and, and more and most importantly um what you gained from your military uh service that has contributed to all of this success that you have today uh, yeah and and the one um and i'll just tell you that um the one thing that i think we all gain or we have the opportunity to gain uh through our military service is that one thing that you learn in the military that you may not learn in college is that you get grit. And if you want to succeed as a business owner, if you have grit, you are in a in a world that is, is primed for success. Because if you have grit, you are going to succeed no matter what the odds are, no matter who says no to you. That's one thing we learned in the military is that there's a mission. And if you don't, there's no failing in the mission. You do whatever it takes in order to succeed. And so if, and that's where we develop that grit, you know, you're in boot camp, and like, it's, you know, you not, you know, you falling short by three to five pushups, that's not going to cut it. You're going to finish those last three to five pushups. Guess what? In college, you know, you may or may not get that. Your parents, you may or may not get that or, you know, your first few jobs, you may not, may or may not get that, but you certainly do in the military. And that is such a gift that we all have as, uh, you know, those who have served. Absolutely. Josh Elledge, thank you so much for joining me, sir. I know it, uh, uh, we, we had a little bit of uh, technical issues, but we powered through it, adapt and overcome, as we would say in the military. Uh, <laughs> we got it done, sir. Uh, Savings Angel, up NPR. Uh, a lot of great information there for for like for much of the people in the audience. So thank you for everything that you've shared. And sir, thank you for your service to our country. Absolutely, Tim. And if there's someone, if they've been listening to our conversation at this length, I want you to know that we do a lot of pro bono stuff for other veteran business owners, mill spouse business owners. Um, and if you go to upmyinfluence.com and um, look at our product page, here's, don't skip past this. There's an orange button there that says that you can have our $1,200 video e-course, talks about Twitter, talks about everything. And I'm going to help you uh, at no cost, I believe in the go-giver philosophy where you give and you serve, particularly for those who have served. And I want you to have my $1,200 video e-course absolutely free. Just click on the link and there's no coupon needed. And if it does ask you for a coupon, then just email me and I'll make sure that you get that. It's really easy to contact me on my site, but that's at up 
upendpr.com, or we may have the branding fully changed by the time you're listening to this, and that would be upmyinfluence.com. We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. So VA has has created a welcome kit. VA has created a welcome kit to guide veterans to the benefits uh, that they've earned. Uh, if you go to blogs.va.gov, you will see an article with that title, VA launches a welcome kit to guide veterans to benefits and services they've earned. And this is where veterans should start when first exploring uh, the benefits that they could qualify for. If you click on that blog, you'll see a button that says VA Welcome Kit. Click on that and that will guide you through um, exploring the benefits that you may qualify for. So be sure to check that out, especially if you've not uh, dipped your toe into the VA process. I promise you uh, using this welcome, welcome Kit will make things uh, a little bit easier to understand. Today's Medal of Honor citation reading is for Francis Curry, U.S. Army, Private First Class, 3rd Platoon Company K, 3rd Battalion, 120th Infantry, 30th Infantry Division. This is back in World War II. I believe this was Battle of the Bulge is, the, is the, what this event was for. Citation reads, He was an automatic rifleman with the 3rd Platoon defending a strong point near Melmedy, Belgium on 21 December 1944, when the enemy launched a powerful attack. Overrunning tank destroyers and anti-tank guns located near strong point, German tanks advanced to the 3rd Platoon's position and, after prolonged fighting, forced the withdrawal of this group to a nearby factory. Sergeant Curry found a bazooka in the building and crossed the street to secure rockets. Meanwhile, enduring intensive fire from the enemy tanks and hostile infantrymen who had taken up a position at the house a short distance away. In the face of small arms fire, machine gun, and artillery fire, he, with a companion, knocked out a tank with one shot. Moving to another position, he observed three Germans in the doorway of an enemy-held house. He killed or wounded all three with his automatic rifle. He emerged from cover and advanced alone to within 50 yards of the house, intent on wrecking it with rockets. Covered by friendly fire, he stood erect and fired a shot which knocked down half of one wall. While in the forward position, he observed five Americans who had been pinned down for hours by fire from the house and three tanks. Realizing that they could not escape until the enemy tank and infantry guns had been silenced, Sergeant Curry crossed the street to a vehicle where he procured an armful of anti-tank grenades. These he launched while under heavy enemy fire, driving tankmen from the vehicles into the house. He then climbed onto the half-track in full view of the Germans and fired a machine gun at the house. Once again, changing his position, he manned another machine gun whose crew had been killed. Under covering fire, the five soldiers were able to retire to safety. Deprived of tanks and with heavy infantry casualties, the enemy was forced to withdraw. 
Through his extensive knowledge of weapons and by his heroic and repeated bravery of murderous heavy fire, Sergeant Curry was greatly responsible for inflicting heavy losses and men and material on the enemy, for rescuing five comrades, two of whom were wounded, and for stemming an attack which threatened to flank his battalion's position. We thank Francis for his service. That's it for episode 82. Hope you enjoyed. Joshua's great. I know you enjoyed that. We're going to be back on Monday with another Benefits Breakdown. Enjoy your weekend. I'll see you then.